When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we begin, we wanted to issue a content warning for this week's episode. There is a frank discussion of sexual violence, assault, and trauma that some may find disturbing. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Happy October, Fright School! Oh my gosh, so exciting! It's that time, it's spooky season, we are here, we are in it, kicking off our official, uh, you know, Halloween month shows. Ugh! So excited to see you, Joe. How are you? Uh, good, good holiday tidings to you, Joshua. <laughs> Don't you just love this time of year? Like I was watching, um, we were watching Food Network uh, and they, because <laughs> they did the worst cooks in America, like Halloween redemption thing. Oh, and no. like every commercial was like filled with spooky shit. You know, all the shows are doing their Halloween war stuff, you know, uh, cake, cakes that look like horror things, cupcakes, candies, baked goods, food, dumplings. everything. I'm sure dumplings, just everything. I just, Love this time of year when everybody becomes spooky as fuck. It's just delightful. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Love don't you? It, don't it. you enjoy it? You know. I mean, like, I, I enjoy it because, like, I I now own the I now own the title of Spooky Kook. Um, hard hard fought that it was. Um, I think what I, I think what I enjoy most is that like you know this is the time of year where like your skin is glowing, Joshua. You are at the height of your you're the height of your power. Um, it's like it does feel like that. You know, it's like you know, like the New Year's baby, but it's like a Halloween baby. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're in the prime of your life. Yeah, spook show baby. Yeah. thank you, Rob Zombie. So mm. I yeah, I'm I'm very excited for this um, October. And uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. So um, let's get to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Let's get all of the things, uh, all of the... uh, Mainline it into my blood. Yeah, And then cut my throat and splatter that blood all over the wall. (laughs) Hot. Yeah. The West Craven Memorial Library needs a, a paint job. I think that'd be perfect, you know? Oh my god! I, I we have to keep the walls wet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I sent um, a video to Justine because you know, as you know, our dear friend Justine is a calligrapher, and um, she I saw this weird video on on Facebook that was like, "You'll never forget this man's calligraphy," and he's like using a knife, the like tip of a knife to 
like, and it looks like blood, but it's like, you know, very crimson red ink. Um, and he's using it to, uh, write out like, I love you. <laughs> but it, oh, I saw that. Yeah. You seen that? But it looks like, um, I mean, it looks deranged, of course, because it's you know the blood is uh, spattering everywhere. That's the one where it was like a million little boxes too, and they yes. kept writing. Oh man, that was kind of creepy. I dug the one, it. The obsession one. Um, yeah, there was one where it was the knife, and he wrote down "I loved you." Yeah, <laughs> it's like Ooh, the past tense. Yeah, yeah. No, I saw that going around. I was like, "Oh, that is delightful!" Like you know, doing calligraphy with a knife. We need uh, to get him. We need to get a commission so that we we can have him do, uh, have him write out like the West Craven Memorial Library, and then I we'll like get it. it. We'll get it framed. Yeah, I'm here for that. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's reach out. <laughs> uh, let's see what else has been going on uh, this week. American Horror Story, ending mm-hmm. the first part last week. We're going to start a new, uh, or we did start it, actually happened last week, uh, last Wednesday, uh, Aliens. But because we are manipulating time, we've yet to see it. <laughs> <laughs> We're bending of time. We're time benders. Yes, because, uh, dear listener, um, Joe has the audacity <laughs> to... Uh, have the caucasity even she's like you know internalizing uh the colonialism uh you know but she has the audacity to go have a life of her own and it's conflicting with our uh scheduling our recording scheduling so we are manipulating time we are the manipulated living if you had seen donnie darko you would understand what i'm talking about joe i mean i have seen donnie darko but i don't think i've seen it enough to know like the specific quotations other than like cellar door and you know <laughs> doubting your commitment to sparkle motion. Um, there you go. That's all you need to know. Uh, actually we're going to have to do that movie one day. Like, I don't know how, like how much it qualifies as like horror horror. I mean, again, who, what qualifies, right? It is kind of, it's very disturbing. There's lots of existential dread in it. Uh, you know, I mean, according to our podcast, Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer claymation animation is, that's uh, true. That's true. That is fright school. Canon. You, you had a lot to say about the, like, you know, inherited trauma of, <laughs> of the it's Rudolph, true. the red nosed reindeer. Yeah, so that's true. So, I mean, one day we'll do it because it is personally one of my favorite films. So, I, uh, yeah, we'll have to do that one day. But uh, what else is going on? You, you see anything this week? Watch any watch any films? What did I watch? Um, I didn't. I haven't watched any films. I'm trying to get caught up in TV because mm. um, there's so much new stuff. I'm at a point now where, like, you know, every time I'm. Uh, you know, every month or so I go through like what's coming up on Netflix or mm-hmm. Hulu, Amazon. And I just like start saving things to add to my list. And I'm at a point now for um, like for all of September, it was like, this thing is now playing. The, the thing on your list is now here. And I haven't watched any of it. Like oh, wow. I haven't watched, yeah. um, I haven't watched any nailed it. I haven't watched any of the like you know the new seasons of all the different shows that i like i think the only thing that i'm watching right now live is dancing with the stars ah but like i also like secretly well not secretly because i talk about it all the time on podcasts but i love dancing with the stars because it's so it's so dumb 
it's like so stupid. Like these celebrities, celebrities loosely get on there and like my favorite challenge that they have is like the theme of the week is like your most memorable year. And then in the like, you know, package before they dance, they talk about, you know, their most memorable year. And then they're going to like represent that year, but like through dancing. And my favorite is when it's like my most memorable year is the year that my dad passed away from cancer. And then they go into this very, you know, he was my champion. He believed in me. He took me to my first audition it's like, Dad, I hope you really, I hope you like this. This is for you. And then it's like a rumba, which is like a very sensual Latin dance yeah. to like your father dying of pancreatic cancer, which is so, and it happens a lot. <laughs> it happens way more than people think. Or it's like, there was one where last season there was um, my most memorable year is the year that my family came from Vietnam and my uncle was in a fishing boat. And, you know, single-handedly saved all our family's life because he bailed out the boat because they almost drowned. This is, this, this dance is dedicated to him. And it was like a samba. Like it was (laughs) dancing the samba. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just so, uh, it's so moving. Uh (laughs) I know I was like, you know, and then, and then, but like you're watching them and it's like, okay, so let's communicate all of the like, all of the sheer intensity of emotion, you know, that comes with family loss and immigrating to a new nation, but like also like, you know, articulate your hips and point your foot <laughs> and like gesture wildly with your hands and stuff. It's just, it's the best. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Uh, well, I'm glad that you have that to enjoy as a, you know, um, an, an-, an- uh, antidote to the horror, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was when I remember when we watched American Mary, I was very happy to have back episodes of Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's me out of it. That is uh, probably a good one uh, to, to have on to have on hand. <laughs> we should do a Dancing with the Stars where it's just horror celebrities. Can you imagine? It's like, you know, Mick Garris and Robert Mukes and <laughs> Danielle Fisher. I'm here for that. Let's let's pitch it. Let's get it going. Uh, yeah. You know, brought to you by the Boulet brothers, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, I love it. We started watching uh, Only Murders in the Building. Oh, is it good? It's really funny. Okay. Uh, I feel super called out by it as a true crime podcast listener. Uh, there's a lot of snark in it, uh, at our demographic. I'm sure the murderinos watching it are like, ah, excuse me. Okay. Excuse me. Like, how can you put so much disrespect on me here? You know? So there are moments like that where it's just, you know, especially in the very first episode I was watching with, uh, with the Sam Squanch and, he doesn't listen. I've tried. I've tried to get him to listen to Serial. Mm-hmm. You know, I've tried to get him to listen to uh, Accused from, like, the Cincinnati Inquirer, which I really enjoyed. Uh, uh, you, you know, a million. None of them come to mind right now. But the Million Murder podcast I've listened to. And he just, he won't. And so he's a little kind of ignorant of the uh, of the culture of it. Mm-hmm. So they're like, 
the very first episode, they're all listening to what, I mean, it does, it sounds very much like a serial ripoff. It's called, uh, I can't remember. It's like something happened in Oklahoma or whatever is the name of the fictional podcast that the, the three main characters are listening to. That's played by, uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short and, uh, Selena Gomez. So they're all fans of this podcast, but they don't, you know, they don't really realize that there's like a moment in the show where they, you know, all kind of come together, but, uh, it's got, it's narrated by, uh, this character called, it sounds almost like Sarah Koenig. It's like Cinda Canning <laughs> played by Tina Fey. Of course. And the music also like apes the serial thing. It's all like piano do, 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 you know, it's very, very much, you know, it just, it, it, it you know, it's, it's a parody of serial. And so they're all like, there's a moment where like, they're all kind of running into each other, realizing they listen to the podcast and yelling things like what's in the dog's mouth and where is she, you know, but it's like, they're all kind of like freaking out about the show. And I'm like, Oh gosh, that's so much like what it's like. Like I remember when I was working, when serial first came out and I was working at the clinic and I realized one of the psychiatrists was also listening to serial. And we had a whole moment like that by the, um, uh, the copy machine where it was like, you know, what do you think? What is Jay doing? Like what's going on? Like, why is he involved in like, <laughs> and it was just that kind of thing. And now suddenly you're banded together by this, like, you know, this murder, this terrible event that's like brings people together. So there's kind of that element of it. That's really funny, especially in the first episode is they're all like, you know, talking about it. And it just reminded me of like the early days of listening to my favorite murder and uh, you know, um, bonding and go like I went to some murder Reno events, you know, we saw, you know, we went live, you know, to like the live show and all of that kind of thing. So it just, yeah, it has that element to it. But then on top of it, there's also this other, you know, the mystery of the show, you know, somebody's murdered in the building. That's the whole thing. And these characters decide to make a podcast about it. Uh, <laughs> although it's, um, I don't know. We're just, we're kind of just getting to that. Cause I think there's like okay. six or seven episodes out and we've only listened to th or only watched three, but it's, it's, it's fun. I think you'd enjoy it as a podcast maker. Cause there's stuff that you're just like, wait, that's not how, <laughs> like, how are you making a show out of like nothing? Like they have nothing, you know, but it's pretty good. Well, I can't, it's, yes. it, it, we do that all the time. So only murders <laughs> in the building is one of those, uh, shows that's like, you should be watching this, yeah. like staring at me from my queue. Every time I click on Dancing with the Stars, it's like, you actually should be watching this one, Joe. Yeah. They're only 30 minute episodes. So, you know, it's one of those things you could probably just, you know, yeah. and but it see, is kind of addictive. It's, it's sitting right next to the last season of Shrill. So ah. I'm like, you know, and again, I know that's 30 minute episodes and it's just, you know, it's there because the other thing too is like like when I want to start something that new, I have like a wealth of things, yeah, to get through. No, that I do, I do understand. Uh, in our little group chat uh, that I have with some of my friends, it like keeps coming up that like, oh, you know, have you seen this yet? You should watch this or um, uh, check this thing out. And I'm just like, I I, I can't. I have it's just like books. Like I have to finish some of these books before I start new books. <laughs> like, you know, but it's addictive when we live in this society with like, there's so much content, you know, there's so many shows. There's so many, like I, I just, sometimes I have like these, um, 
surreal feelings of like, what is out there that I've yet to see or listen to that I would love, you know, that I'd be obsessed with. But I also can't think like that because I already have, there's, I have so much stuff to read and watch that. I, I mean, even if I watched it 24 hours a day until I died, I probably wouldn't catch up. So I mean, Joshua, this is a great place to remind you about mindfulness and right. the, you know, that thinking about the future, the unknown is the thief of mindfulness. Thank you, Counselor <laughs> Joe. Camp Counselor Joe to the rescue. <laughs> My name is Joe Brene Brown. <laughs> <laughs> You're, uh, all right, so that is definitely going to be the pull quote for this yeah. episode. Uh, uh, my Joe name is Brene Joe, Brown. Joe Elizabeth Gilbert. <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, you know, insert some like white woman. I don't I actually don't know. I don't know who Brene, Brene Brown is, so I don't know if she's a white woman or not. Um, uh, I, I, I someone, don't. Someone look at look look it up. I, I don't know. Every time you know, I just. I lumped them all into, you know, a Cheryl Strayed, a, a, you know, an Eat, Pray, Love, and Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah. No, Brene Brown, I do believe, is a white woman. Um, she is a white woman. White. <laughs> she is a white woman. Of course, again, you know, you never know. You can't, you know, you can't just look at people and, and know for sure. So I know. Look at Rachel Dolezal. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we couldn't tell if she was a liar just by looking at her. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That was delightful. Uh, all right. Well, anyways. Uh, yeah. So it, it is enjoyable. I definitely think you should check it out sometime, especially as a fan of like, you know, my favorite murder and yeah, you know, those sorts of things. And just podcasts. It's just fun that, you know, th- the creation of a podcast is part of like the storyline. So you know, it's a good time. Okay. Other than that, it's been, you know, I just, uh, yeah, I'm just waiting for all the, I'm waiting for Halloween kills to come out. You know, I'm waiting for, you know, all of these movies that I know that I like to watch throughout October. Uh, I, I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to be, to be watching all of those. So I'm going to be putting a lot of things on hold to, uh, to do that. Oh, Okay. Rewatching, so, and I've got plans. Like I'm doing showings, you know, people uh-huh. are coming over to hang out. So you know, we're gonna do. It's yeah. just ready. Yeah. So everybody, you're on notice. Joshua's waiting. Right. <laughs> Actually, you know what's funny? It's like I, I, I mean, not to sound popular, but uh, <laughs> my calendar's already like filled for October. So it's not even like I'm waiting. It's like I'm just. It's it's more of like just you know each day. Uh, which I love. I love this time of year. Like I said, it feels like my birthday. I wish I should just change my birthday legally to Halloween because like the month of October, like really makes me feel like <laughs> loved by friends and, you know, and, and it, it's that time of year that just reminds me of like, you know, all the awesome people in my life and all the spooky kooks. Do you ever feel like uh, this is, this is going to drastically bring things into reality. So, you know, feel free not to answer the question, but do you ever feel like sometimes um, you don't want to be known as the horror person? No. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I like it. Uh, I did. I mean, I had like a weird, like a few years ago, a, sort of a weird crisis about it. But I mean, this was like 
eight years ago or something like that, where was because like, this we has were, to be pre-fight school. <laughs> yeah, definitely pre-fight school. Uh, but uh, we were hosting a lot of parties when we first moved here. And like the first couple of years, it's like every party, it was like a horror theme, you know? So like we had like a Valentine's day party and it was like bloody Valentine. And we, you know, it was all these horror things and uh, you know, all of these, like just every party had that kind of theme. And so it was just like getting to be like a lot of blood and gore. And I think there were definitely like some people that were like, this is a lot. (laughs) And so I had like a moment where I was like, ah, man, maybe we should like, not every party has to have like a horror element to it. And I mean, we've definitely gotten away from that. Like now we, you know, we host like wine parties and we have, you know, dinners and and it's not like a horror film is always playing, but for a while there it was. Uh, So I did feel like for a moment I needed to to kind of pull that back just because I didn't want to give like totally the wrong impression. Like I I feel like, you know, maybe I, 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 People are weird about stuff sometimes. So you just don't know. You just don't know how yeah. you're how you're you coming don't. across. And if you're yeah. being like, and I'm very darkly like humorous, I think, <laughs> and morbid. And so, you know, it's just like, sometimes it's like having to remind people, like I was talking about this in class, um, in my writing class, because I'm working on an essay about like, you know, the sun going out and existential dread, but finding joy in that. And like, despite the fact that we wear a lot of black and, you know, we're always, you know, doing horror events and, you know, doing, you know, kind of, you know, we're morbid dudes. We're also extremely joyful and Mm -hmm. we have fun and our life is filled with like, you know, incredible music and food and friends and family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of joy, even though there's also a lot of uh, black clothing and, you know, so I think it's more because it's sort of switched to that where it's like, the death positivity thing too, of like being aware that we're going to die and that's okay. And we can, we are better off. I think personally, if we're a little more aware of our mortality, because we can embrace things a little easier. And I think there's a lot of my friends who it's like, you know, I want to shake a little bit, like you're going to die one day. So stop overthinking, you know, stop, um, stop letting other people rule your life. So I don't know. Nowadays, I don't care. I'm getting too old. I don't give a fuck. I'm going to be that 80 year old dude wearing skull and crossbones. And, you know, people are, poor kids are going to think I am death wandering the streets of San Diego one day. So I'm fine with that. In your walker without pants. Um, As long as they run away and keep the sidewalk clear for me and my walker and my no pants. um, I, I, I only bring it, I bring it up because like, you know, there are, like for a long time, I was always like the trivia guy, and I think to mm. I think to a certain extent, I am that now. And I was I actually played trivia last night. Um, the The reason why we're recording in a, on a different day than we usually do is because I'm attending a wedding this weekend for some friends who I met via trivia, and um, we played for the first time in like four or five years because we're all together. And um, I was telling them, I was like, yeah, I'm not hosting anymore, but I like forgot how much I love to play trivia. And I also like forgot how much I, um, how really super duper like competitive I get when I play trivia, like it gets annoying Um, or it can get annoying if you don't know me. And the place we were playing at was like super, was super trendy. And as people started to come in, I looked at the team and I was like, I don't lose to hipsters. So, <laughs> so we need to win. <laughs> we're like, I don't lose to hipsters. Did you um, win? Of course we did. Of Good. course we did. Um, but but that's but that's the thing is that like I, sometimes I struggle with like you know that's there are things that you 
there are things that like are a part of you for a while, but then at a certain point, you know, do you like, I fight with like, am I trying to just be angsty and not be quote unquote known or, you know, am I just like, what am I bucking against when I get those feelings of like, I don't want to be known as a trivia person. Um, the only, like the thing that I love is like, I love being known as the horror guy right there with you. And what I've learned from you, not to get all sentimental on your ass, but what I've learned from you is to have like, to just have, let people have their joy and have the most joy in the things that make you really happy. Yeah. And to never, you know, to not spoil anyone's enjoyment of things as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and it's hard. Like there are definitely times where I want to make fun of shit, but then I'm just like, well, whose feelings am I going to hurt? You know, like Mm -hmm. who, whose whole identity is wrapped up in this thing in the way that my identity is so intertwined with horror, you know? Mm -hmm. So again, it is just like sondering and remembering that other people are as complex and complicated and uh, have a right, you know, to, to things, which again is why I struggle with like, you know, I don't, you know, this show, like there are shows out there that are funny and, you know, like that's their thing, making fun of horror or tearing something or saying this is, you know, the worst garbage ever or whatever. Uh, you know, that's definitely their thing and that's what they get joy out of. That's fine. But it's like, it's hard for me to like, I always am in this weird place of like, well, somebody probably really loves this thing, you know? And like, how, how am I to judge? Like, you know, uh, so whatever. Yes, I agree. We have to just be kind to each other, even when we're hacking each other to pieces. <laughs> you really made me, I was really hesitant to like, you know, share with you my music opinions for a few mm. years because you're just so, your music opinions and your taste is so cool, you know, capital C, cool. I don't know about that, but thank you. Um, to me, to me at least. And so then like, I started to, like in, it's only been in the last few years that I've like really owned like the type of music that I like. And yeah. I've been able to define like um, <laughs> Jimmy Kins's dad <laughs> asked me and he's, he's a music guy. He plays guitar. Like he has, he has his kids over to play music and stuff. And so he asked me like, what kind of music do you like? And I got, <laughs> it was so strange. Cause I was like, um, I like a lot of female driven pop. <laughs> he's like oh like who and i'm like i'm like oh like you know like kim patras and like i started naming people and um i I, and then like i was like oh my god i'm definitely that person was like let me pull out the coolest thing that i can think of to impress you but now i'm just like well no let me tell you how much i love like you know this one novelty song (laughs) by a real housewife Uh, (laughs) yeah um but yeah, and and you know, spoiler alert for those who are listening, he asked like he asked me to choose the album we would listen to next, and so I put on the new Yola, and nice because yeah. it's a safe bet, and also she's you know I think more people should know about her. Yeah, she's got an incredible, incredible voice. Mm-hmm. I love it. Oh, how sweet! I know well, that's a nice place to uh, stop. And take a quick break, and then we're going to be back to discuss, uh, what is it, 1971? Mm-hmm. 1971's The Blood on Satan's Claw. Haley Piper, Patrick Lacey, S.E. Howard, Waylon Jordan, and Jeremy Herbert. 
five acclaimed authors of horror and dark fiction. Their twisted tales appeared in the acclaimed horror anthology Worst Laid Plans from Grindhouse Press. Now, their tales of vacation terror are coming to the big screen in a feature film adaptation from Genre Blast Films. Five acclaimed genre filmmakers will bring these stories to life. Samantha Koyesnik, John Hale, Vanessa Yonta Wright, Michael Escobedo, and Jeremy Herbert. Worst Laid Plans. Now crowdfunding on Indiegogo. This is one vacation you'll be dying to take. <laughs> All right, welcome back. Ah, I'm so excited for today because we are kicking off our October series, October 2021, Halloween 2021 Uh set of films and I'm really excited to uh to get into this because I've had this plan for like the whole year <laughs> I've like been thinking about these films thinking about what we're gonna do uh you know and kind of building this this concept so we are dedicating October to what's called uh the subgenre in horror called folk horror we're gonna look at some you know a set of films that are included in that from foundation foundational films to you know newer films and sort of how folk horror has transformed and changed since the 60s in into now and i i just really love this i really love folk horror we've done some folk horror on the show before because we've covered like children of the corn we've done the witch um you know, we, we saw midsommar so that we've definitely kind of touched on it but we've never done like a full-on exploration of folk horror and so i was partially inspired by this uh book i picked up a walk in a darker wood an anthology of folk horror which was edited by Dwayne pasiche sarah walker and gordon b white and so we're going to be kind of using some of their conversation about folk horror along with uh some other pieces here uh so to start a definition of folk horror. Uh, usually, so I like this from the Wikipedia page for folk horror. It's, just, it's kind of succinct. So it's uh, saying that it's, uh, you know, it's horror that uses elements of folk horror to invoke fear in its audience. That's like a simple kind of term. Uh, typical elements include rural setting, themes of isolation, religion, the power of nature, and the potential darkness of rural landscapes. Uh, and although it can be connected to supernatural elements, not all of them are. You know, sometimes it's just the horror of of people, of of uh, belief systems that are rooted in like the natural world, uh, which I think it, within the concept context of folk horror. Uh, human humanity and nature are sort of these like almost like a natural enemy Mm -hmm. as like humanity as we fight to tame nature and to destroy it and build our own uh, our own kingdoms Uh, sometimes the natural world has to remind us of its power and so we see that in uh, you know in, in obviously what's happening right now in the midst of like climate change, but throughout our history, we know there have been devastating fires and hurricanes and tsunamis, you know, these sorts of things that are 
existentially horrifying to humans uh, and this like power that that the natural world has. Uh, so I watched on YouTube, very exciting. Uh, so you can find this. Uh, Mark uh, Gaddis, who is a writer and actor, did a 2010 uh, BBC documentary series called A History of Horror. And I think it's a three-part series. And the second part uh, gets into a little bit of these films in the 60s and 70s. So obviously today we're starting with Blood on Saint, the Blood on Satan's Claw, which is considered to be part of like a trilogy of like foundational folk horror films, which also includes uh, Witchfinder General, which stars Vincent Price, and The Wicker Man from 1973, which we will be doing The Wicker Man in this series, spoiler alert. Uh, we may revisit Witchfinder General in the future, but I just decided we just did a film with Vincent Price, and I think that the the elements in Blood on Satan's Claw and in The Wicker Man are just more a little more interesting mm-hmm. than Witchfinder General, but... Um, not to say anything negative about Witchfinder General. I, I would like to cover it on the show, but I think in the essence of getting to some of the, the bigger conversations of folk horror, we're going to just focus on on two of those as part of the, at least the foundation of setting the tone for what's to come. And so I watched this documentary and it was really cool because they uh, he had the director of, of the Blood on Satan's Claw, Pierce Haggard, actually in, in this documentary. And so what is this like this was set in 19 or uh this was created in 1971 released in 1971 and so 2010 i mean that's almost what 40 years later mm-hmm. yeah um to to discuss uh uh the film so i'll get into some of that once we get into talking about the themes of the film because he brought uh in the interview he brought some really cool thoughts that i didn't notice upon first watching so I'm really glad because I actually watched this film early last year because I thought I was going to put it in our, because last October we did, we dedicated to the devil. We dedicated to Satan and, you know, mm-hmm. sort of these various works uh, and different iterations of the devil and horror. And so I was going to do this film then, but then I didn't feel like it was exactly, it wasn't actually kind of what I was trying to do. So I thought I would save it and, uh, dedicate, you know, and then it came up again. I was like, oh, perfect. We'll do a whole thing on folk horror. So in that documentary, Mark Gaddis, what I, I love that he said this about folk horror. He says it was a, it's a, there's a common obsession with British landscape, uh, landscapes, folklore, superstitions. Um, and that there was this sort of, uh, you know, wider appreciation for, uh, for like British Mm-hmm. The, uh, a British uh, sensibility of horror. <clears throat> so I think that's probably where we will start with a kind of, you know, the, that's sort of how we're defining folk horror. Again, it's, it is loose, uh, but it, within the terms of this film, we have a, um, what is it? It's like a pagan, what I, a rural paganism. Uh, so within this film, uh, you know, it's very, it's a very beautiful film with this like underlying horror. So let's start now talking about the film itself with like, as usual, Joe, what did you think of watching 
the Blood on Satan's Claw. Did you watch it on Tubi as well? I watched it on Tubi, so it was nice. It was interspersed with, like, you know, um, commercials for Boniva and... <laughs> And all of those things. Yeah, I hated um, that. I was like, oh my gosh, just get back to the film. Yeah, no, just like we can't, we can't anymore. Um, it was strange. Um, it, I thought it was going to be like, I was prepared for like a Jalo fever dream. I really uh, was. Yeah. And I was really surprised at how kind of linear it, it ended up being. It's more um, of like a daydream. <laughs> a little bit. And I mean, and again, like most, as is with most films that I do for Fright School, I watch it during the day. It's actually very rare that I watch anything at night. And so it, I'm kind of glad that I did for this one. Um, it was also like there were parts where it was just so, it was so slow. <laughs> and And I was like, I get it that's the convention of the time they're building up tensions and, you know, tension and all of that. Like I totally understand, but I just can't, you know, it just didn't, it didn't grab me. So, you know, it's not until like the end, right. Not until like, uh, they, um, sacrifice poor Kathy and it gets to that point where I'm just like, okay, now we're seeing some things happen, but, um, yeah, interesting, interesting start. In fact, like, in fact, I, because um, I knew nothing about Full Core. I didn't know that it was its whole, it, I didn't, I thought you were, honestly, I thought you were, like, making up the genre. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately, I am not the uh, creator of this genre. Yeah, or, like, you know, like, the concept of it. And so mm-hmm. I, I did a little research myself, and I'm like, ah! it's a whole thing and so it made me appreciate it more but you know this is probably not something i'd watch again but it's definitely one of those films where it's like i understand its place in the canon and i have an appreciation for it but yeah um, yeah you probably i I imagine you probably saw some of those reflections like in watching it you're probably going oh I kind of get where Midsommar is pulling from or where the witch is pulling from or where oh, absolutely. children of the corn. Absolutely. You can there's feel a, the presence. There's a scene. I forget what exactly is happening, but I think there's a scene where it's raining. And I was like, like the way that the, the shot was um, set up was like, it was the witch. Like, yeah. cause there's those scenes in the witch where it's raining. Um, and it's like the way the rain falls over the thatched roof. And you're like looking at the townspeople, um, a little bit of Midsommar. And then also what was interesting is that the parts with the, you know, with the chanting and all that stuff and the group stuff, it reminded me, we, I don't know, I'm sure maybe you've seen it, but I actually saw it independent of Fright School. It's a, it's a, a, like a dark parody called The Love Witch. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, and so, like, there were scenes where it kind of, like, the Love Witch kind of spoofs the movies of, like, the 60s and 70s. And so right. there's a scene there in the Love Witch that, like, I'm sure is a direct callback to the Blood on Satan's Claw. Uh, so I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. And it was so cool to, like, see that, to see, like, this is a, one of those foundational texts where, like, now every time I watch a new movie or if I see a more recent movie, I know that this is a reference point for it or there's oh no there are homages to it yeah and, and those are always really cool 
Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely agree. It's not, this isn't like a fun movie to like pop in and like hang out, you know, uh, watching, you know, joyfully. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely kind of slow. And I do think that, again, that is sort of a function of the time. You know, we're talking about 1971, um, uh, premiered in April of 1971. Uh, you know, so like films of this time are just a little bit more meditative. It's very pastoral, you know, in mm-hmm. a way, mm-hmm. like it just has this. So, so it's set in 18th century England and sort of what kicks off the events of the film is the discovery of this like creepy face skull thing with an eye still in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a worm? Like, I think there was like a worm or a caterpillar. Yeah, yeah there is a worm and you know, poor Ralph, just poor Ralph throughout this film. Um, he discovers it, you know, tries to like warn the judge. Uh, what is his name? Um, I just kept calling him Judge Turpin. (laughs) I knew you were going to, this is so funny. I knew, I was like, I I know Joe's going to have like a Disney reference for this. Uh, Judge Turpin, Judge Turpin is a Sondheim reference. Oh, sorry. I was thinking of, um, Claude Frollo. No, Radcliffe. Is that his name? And Pocahontas. (laughs) Because just his outfit, his cape and stuff. I was like, Governor Radcliffe from Pocahontas. Yes, I'm so yes. sorry. You're right, Judge Turpin. Okay, yeah, I kept that's... calling him Judge Turpin, and the square okay. was like he reminded me of um, uh, Beetle Bamford. Beetle Bamford. It, yeah, it, the squire is the most Judge uh, Governor Radcliffe of them all. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, oh gosh, I, that's so fun. Well, I mean, that's so on brand right there for me to totally like mistake a Disney character, um, Turpin. Yes, it's Radcliffe. Anyways, whatever. Point is, uh, I figured you'd have some sort of gay mm-hmm. reference. For <laughs> yes. Uh, so I love that he's totally dismissive. Like, he's like, you know, what? Like, no, I'm not here for your superstition. And then, of course, mm-hmm. he, like, takes off, leaving this poor town abandoned to its, like, growing superstitious fears. Which, can I... <laughs> Can I? Can we talk about how that seems to be a thing that happens a lot in movies of this period? Like people leave, <laughs> and again, it's like it's great because like you know the internet doesn't exist yet. So like if you need to go consult someone, you actually have to like fly off to the Vatican. Like you can't just email a priest, you know. <laughs> right. You have to like you have to like fly. I forget what movie was it. Ah, uh, I think it was. I think it was um, either Suspiria or Rosemary's Baby, where like someone leaves <laughs> and goes to get like a book and then comes back, or you know gets gathers more information about like the building or something like that. So it's maybe it's Suspiria I'm thinking about. Like mm. they, she has to like go to Rome <laughs> to like learn more <laughs> about the building and all this stuff. It, but it, but that's the thing is that like, I feel yeah. like I see that a lot in these like. 60s 70s films because you know this this is a good case for the internet at this point i was gonna say this is like the most horrifying thing for you it's like these people have no internet yeah what are they gonna do <laughs> they can't pop in in carta and you know look up uh look up uh what is it behemoth behemoth what is yeah, it yeah 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 the behemoth uh yeah they may say it what a behemoth uh yeah that they're like kind of calling to uh whether that's actually satan it's kind of like the exorcist like mm-hmm. is it just a demon or is it the devil no. is uh, it pazuzu you know? like they right. they i, I feel Which like is, you know that is the yeah. demon but 
but saying it's the devil. So yeah, which like I feel like <laughs> I feel like we can have like that'll be a fun like day long film festival of like all the princes of hell. So like we'll have Satanic Panic with uh, <laughs> Samael, you know, <laughs> with, yeah. and then you know Beelzebub and Azazel and all of them, and then we'll. But yeah, but anyway, please continue. I've derailed us enough with homosexuality. It's it's totally fine. Uh, <laughs> so this is another film that I think. Uh, so what I what, one of the reasons I really like this film is it's set in the 18th century, but the writer was was very much inspired by very contemporary issues. So when it when they wrote this, it was like a direct response to uh, the Mary Bell murders of 1968 and then also the Manson family, the Tate LaBianca murders that happened in 1969. And so again, we sort of have this conversation going on in horror that we've had in the past where like the values of the society seem to be breaking down. It's like this apocalyptic sort of conversation that happens in, uh, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for instance, you know, where it's sort of like family values get, you know, subverted, Mm-hmm. And so I really like uh, how this 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 film is really like we can tie it directly to those murders and those events, not only in the reading of the film and the understanding of what's happening in the film, but also because we have like the writers actually talking about it. And uh, there's this also this uh, I'm going to share this. This is from Horror Homeroom, Refractions of Mary Bell and the Blood of Satan's Claw. Uh, examining Angel, Kathy, and Margaret, our main, like, women in the film. So, do you know much about the Mary Bell case? Uh, no. Okay. So, Mary Bell uh, is, she's still alive. She's an adult now, uh, in her 60s. Are you talking, is her name Mary Bell, or is it Mary Bell? Well, it's Mary Flora Bell. But Mary's- yeah, Mary Bell. Okay. It's first and last name. Okay. Uh, she's kind of also um, Asylum, the American Horror Story Asylum. Remember the little girl, like, killer? It's like, she's, you know, like that. Like, that's okay. another reference. So she was this little girl who, in 1968, uh, murdered two young boys, I think ages of, like, three or something, three or four, and uh, by strangulation... And it was kind of this really shocking crime when they discovered it was like this little girl. Uh, she was, I think, 10 when it happened, but she turned 11 either right before her trial or uh, or when, when it began, sometime shortly after. I'm not not too shaky on, on the details, <laughs> or I'm not too clear on the details. I mean, I am shaky on the details, clearly. Uh, but anyways, the point is, is that she murdered these two young boys kind of shocking, you know, the uh, Britain, this happened in, um, Newcastle upon Tyne. Okay. And so the second murder is sort of interesting when compared to the blood on Satan's claw, Mm -hmm. because, you know, not only did she strangle this boy, but she then used a pair of scissors to like, you know, content warning, mutilate him a little bit. And then she cut off some of his hair. Mm. And so we see in this, in this film, like the sort of direct relation to Angela or an angel, sorry, angel. Um, she's a demon that, that uh, angel or that a, a devil, that angel, whatever she calls her. It's, you know, again, she's like this beautiful blonde girl who's like leading this whole town to satanic uh, cult, rich sex rituals. <laughs> 
<laughs> but there's that whole like really intense. We should have started with a content warning because there is like a rape scene in this film, as mm-hmm. you know, every horror fucking film in the sixties and seventies. If there's not a rape, you know, then I, I just don't know what they what they were doing. It seems. But that whole scene where she like uses the, you know, it's like shears. She's using shears to like stab Kathy and then like cut off like the fur. It was just like, there was these very like clear allusions to like that case mm-hmm. uh, and kind of this examination of, of, you know, the, again, the, the values that seem to be like plummeting in, because you had like the summer of love happen in 1969 Woodstock. There's this whole, like, that's one of the things that the director talks about. He's like, um, this is, uh, uh, I keep forgetting his name, Pierce Haggard. I kind of block that Pierce name out of my brain. Cause of Pierce Morgan, who I hate. <laughs> so was it spelled like Pierce Morgan? Yeah. It's like P I E R S. I just think of Piers Brock, but well, that's Pierce, not Piers, but you know. Oh yeah, Piers no Piers. Piers. Yeah, yeah, no Piers Morgan. He's like terrible. I hate him. So I, I it's like I try to. I don't even think about that name. But anyway, it's Piers Haggard, and he talks about like you know at the time we were all obsessed with witchcraft, free love, nudity, <laughs> this breakdown of values. Uh, you know, so in working on the film, was sort of like pulling in those these like sort of direct references. What I love is this whole movie. This is another one of those things where it's like. You know, do you know where your children are and what mm-hmm. they are doing? <laughs> yeah, this could fall under creepy children for sure. Definitely. Yeah. And I, again, it's so interesting because, you know, just a few years later, a decade later, you know, the, the nation would be like gripped with satanic panic. And this film is like a perfect like it, this is another one where it's like I almost wish that there wasn't an actual demon or devil about because I think there's like a really powerful metaphor at play here of like how we like create like the fact that like the devil. So this film, uh, I think it was, it's name changed a couple times. So I think it was originally titled shoot. What was it? It was shot under the title, the devil's something. Oh gosh, I can't find it. Uh, I knew I should have written it down, but anyways, so it had a working title of Satan's skin and then it became the blood on Satan's claw. But I think there was even a third name uh, being considered, but regardless, I like this idea that, you know, you have like this isolated town, it seems, you know, everybody knows each other. They're all kind of doing whatever. And then they're gripped by this like panic and the fact that, like, the devil needs, like, pieces of everybody in order to rebuild itself, or themselves, mm-hmm. himself, whatever, uh, is, is happening. It's, like, this sort of, like, um, like, our imagination, like, pieces of us, like, creates the devil, you know, together. So, like, the more this spreads, like, the more powerful this, like, imaginative, exper- you know, this happens. Um, again, I could say that about, you know religious you know, fervor, you know, it's kind of that, that sort of thing. And so it's like, I almost wish that that was more at play here rather than the actual devil. But regardless, I do, I still think the metaphor kind of, or the, you know, that sort of still holds, you know, that like mm-hmm. all of these children are helping to contribute, you know, and they're like giving pieces of themselves to like rebuild uh, this, this creature. Can I, can I offer up something? Yeah. So like, I think that, 
Because, I mean, as true crime people know, right, you know, Manson, I think this is like the central plot point of Mindhunters, is like Manson, like, creates the need for like the behavioral, <laughs> like the behavioral psychology unit of the FBI to get into the mind of serial killers and such and such. So it's like, it makes sense to me that while, yes, narrative speaking and in a modern context, we probably it would be the bigger twist is like, you know, the, the monster is us. The monster's always been us. Um, yeah. But I feel like at the time we needed the monster to be not us. Right. right. We need the monster to be the devil. We need the monster to be genuinely evil because we can't, we have not yet come to terms with the fact that like we are the monster and that's something like in kind of the short little blurbs and articles that I've read about folk horror is really interesting because like folk horror is also presenting itself from a colonial lens. And in, right, that, yeah. and in that point, it's like, okay, we need the monster to be the devil or we need it because, you know, the very, the violence of colonialism <laughs> is being, um, we can't see, um, and the natural world coming to get us. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think there's a good, I think there's a correlation there. Um, and I think like the witch does a good, a job of like spinning that on its head, you know, with like, with what, which are not spinning on its head, but like good job commenting on the colonial aspect of it. Modern, like folk horror stuff does a good job of talking about like the colonial imperial aspect of like folk horror. And, and that's like the whole thing I was reading. Cause like, I thought, are we in colonial times or are we in like the English countryside? And it sounds, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, we're definitely in the English countryside. And even then it, it still reads, it can't help but read colonial for me. Yeah. I actually think that's a beautiful, uh, thought absolutely and analysis and you're absolutely right i mean again when we're talking about people responding to cultural events with horror there is especially at this time i mean it's not as if the mary bell murders or the manson murders were the first you know horrific thing to happen i obviously plenty of horrifying cases had happened before and uh you know shocked people and that goes way back you know Mm -hmm. um but on such like a national scale during a time of like, you know, these conversations around like peace, love and understanding, uh, you know, I just think that there was, or a global, really like a global conversation. Um, but you're, but anyways, you're absolutely right because they were sort of like, obviously directly inspired by you know this horror that's happening. It is in that, like, we're not in that like post, almost like postmodern phase of like now where we can make horror and like lead you down a path that it's supernatural. And then you find out it's really not that it's like in somebody's mind. Mm-hmm. We we've embraced our true horror in a little bit of a way. I mean, the director said that like, you know, again, this was like dark things that were real and happened, like is something like he was trying to talk about, but obviously he made a supernatural film. So he is see- seeking an explanation and you're right to give that to audiences where it's like this beautiful blonde blue eyed happy girl like you know she's not evil on her own and just like mary bell like and that like conversation like in the media that's one of the things in this paper is examining he's saying what he calls it refractions of mary bell because he's like you have 
these three girls with Kathy, which interesting, the word, the name Catherine uh, means pure. Hmm. So Catherine's the one who's like sacrifice, you know, she has this like ritualistic sexual um, assault happen to her. You know, she's like, a you know, this lamb who's slaughtered. That's like Mary Bell's innocence because, you know, her mother abused her. She had a very violent childhood. So, you know, that's kind of represents this part of Mary Bell that uh, the media was talking about. Like, we have to remember she's a little girl and, mm-hmm. you know, she didn't just become a murderer. And then you have like, the you know angel and margaret representing these other versions which are like um angels almost like a mother figure who's also violently enacting you know these uh um ritualistic abuses and then margaret also encouraging it almost a go between between the two of mm-hmm. them and so a little I, leslie van houten right Maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You kind of get these different analyses, you know, based on like your own perspectives, like when journalists are writing or the the courts are, are, you know, the justice system, as it were, when they're kind of trying to figure out the motives for events, you know, as it goes out, everybody has a thought, everybody has like, you know, a response. And so I do kind of like that idea. And so, of course, again, going back to what you're saying, because it's the 70s, we're not ready to just be like, maybe a child is just fucking evil. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe some kids are awful. Maybe some things happen because we're bad people. It has nothing to do with the devil. It has nothing to do with God. It's just like, you know, some of us suck for whatever reasons. Uh, But, you know, to talk about that on film is a very different thing than to maybe say, you know, talk about it at a a trial or whatever. And and kind of, yeah, horror in this situation is trying to organize that, that fear, like, how does this happen? How do you get this like angelic child to a place that they are, uh, you know, this evil, this, this container, this Mm -hmm. vessel of evil. So I, I love that. And and you're absolutely right too, about like the full core. Like we've talked about that before with, um, and again, I guess in defining folk horror on film, that's one thing, but then folk horror, as we've been talking centuries is kind of a different thing you know so when we talk about like uh and we'll do a little bit of that i'm still i've got a couple films ideas uh for looking at like um indigenous stories indigenous horror and the ways like colonialism Mm -hmm. like affects that uh you know and that sort of you know destruction of the land and how it will respond i I think is exciting so i like that you're bringing that into the conversation because we should definitely talk about that as we progress in this, uh, in this little series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're getting me excited, Joshua, and I love it. This is why, <laughs> this is why after six years, Fright School still is great. <laughs> I think we're only at like five years. I feel like we keep adding a year, but I don't know. I feel like we lost time. Uh, well, we're coming up on six, so. Are we? I thought we started in 2016. I don't know. We don't have to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, just going through my notes. I, I wrote like two pages of notes for this because there is a lot to unpack in this. Uh, and again, because it sets up so many other films, like we, we've already talked about. Um, uh, let's see. Well, actually, I think that pretty much covers a lot of like what we're talking about. I, uh, one of the things I think is interesting too about this movie that uh, I was reading in some of the discourse is mm-hmm. like, you know, because so 
the judge at the beginning, obviously he's like this powerful man in this uh, situation. He like leaves and in his absence, all of this hell breaks loose. And this, you know, this woman, this blonde, beautiful child, like, you know, creates a death cult in his town and he returns and he's the one that's going to like, he provides order. Right. He comes back and provides order, but I don't know. Like, is that, I, I feel like there's a few, I feel like there's a few un, like there's loose ends in this film, which I'm not sure if that's like purposeful or not. Cause they do this weird echo thing where at the beginning of the film, we find this skull with its mm-hmm. one eye yeah, And then at the end, in the fire, when it freezes, it's like the same eye on like the guy who's setting order. Hmm. So it's like, I felt like they were trying to make like a very clear, like, I don't know, there's hmm. something about like the crimes of man and like the crimes of the patriarchy in a way. Yeah. And like, again, kind of what you're talking about, like colonialism, imperialism, like, you know, sort of that invasion, but I don't know. I feel like that's one of the things in the film. I want to watch it again with more of like, I wasn't really watching it with like a feminist lens because I'm not sure it holds up to that. Um, You know, so it's just kind of a little messy. I feel like the ending is a little weird where I'm not, you know, the overall point of the film. And one of the things that I was thinking about is like, uh, you know, the message feels a little confused, but that maybe at the end of the day, that might actually be the point. Um, like, you know, how do you truly explain such evil? Like, how do you really wrap up, uh, you know, something that is possibly eternal, you know, within the context of the film and like, how do we, you know, how do we organize our thoughts around that? So I don't know. Uh, Again, I'm not saying like, I I think that we can't, I don't, I think that we, you and I, it's like children of the witch, you know, children of the Vavitch. Like, can't we can't unsee the lesson or unknow the lesson that perhaps the person who is supposed to be the savior is the one who's the really shitty one. Right. Like we can't unsee that lesson. Like, I think that's one of the things about the, the witch, right. Is that everything it, you see the larger, there was a larger hand at play, but, there ultimately that led to Thomason's freedom, right? That like led to her liberation. Um, and so in this regard, it's like, possibly, yeah. Again, what is the context, the liberation or is now she like enslaved to the devil, you know, it's like with chaos with uh, Sabrina, yeah. with, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, you know, well, I'm giving up freedom, right? Because it's like, I am tying myself now to the devil as my master rather than mm-hmm. a man, a human man. But but go ahead. Sorry, but, I, I just, but, but that's the that's one of the things that I actually really love about chaos is that it it's like okay, well, you know, the devil gives you all these gifts, but at the same time requires like you know your soul, right? <laughs> like so, and you can like you can revel in the like you don't have to have restraint, but at the same time, it's like you know, the cost is your soul. And so like in that regard with the eye, that's such a good, interesting point. But the way I read it was like, it was, it was kind of like a, I'm not gone type of thing. Like you, you did this now, but you're not going to be there the next time. Like I'm going to come back as, you know, 
the baby of a woman named Rosemary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it was, it was, a, it was almost a defi- like the defiant look. Like, but it was the judge's eye. Like that's the thing at the end. Th- but that's that's the what judge I'm saying. In the flame. Oh, I see what you like the the composition of it. It's yeah. like okay, yeah. Like how do you really fight this fire? You know, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, huh? Yeah. I don't know. I might have again. I probably will watch this again at some point because I am now kind of curious. I'm starting to think about you know, sort of these, like, is there a feminist message at play here? Like, is it about like the, you know, like women left alone, which was such like a thing, especially at this time, we're talking about the 18th century. We're talking about a religious, you know, we've got like this priest who, by the way, you know, they got their like, you know, local priest dude who they've got, like they immediately turn on. I love that. Like they believe that girl right away. I do think that's an interesting thing. You know, you have this like well-respected man in the community and that she's like, uh, evil angel. I mean, is like, um, he's a bad man and they like trust her. And I think that's interesting, you know, in the context of this, it's not like you crazy girl, like, you know, that's the priest have respect. I, I do like that. So I don't know. There are, there it's a mixed messaging, mm-hmm. uh, but still it's like, yeah, exactly. Like the wanton like needs of, you know, the feminine, like, you know, destroying this town. And then like the judge comes back and reasserts authority. So, but is that what's happening? I'm not sure. I might have to re- watch it again. Okay. Uh, I was paying more attention to like the Mary Bell references that I thought were really fascinating. You know, the idea of like the, the Manson murders, you know, the Tate LaBianca murders in particular kind of playing into this, uh, you know, so that's kind of what I was looking at and thinking about, you know, the, like the, just the pastoral kind of thing. Oh, to that effect, I did like, uh, there was a comment in that documentary I was talking about earlier from the director about the, um, uh, the camera angles, Mm -hmm. how like they, it was very like, the film's very painterly. Like they were trying to, like they dug holes and set the camera like down into the ground Mm -hmm. so that they could like do these shots that were almost coming from the earth. You know, like this constant like reminder of like, you know, the, the film opens with like mud and the, 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 um, what do you call the plow, like the wheels, like, you know, going through the dirt, like this very like real sense of like the natural world and then framing all of these like beautiful, uh, you know, the skies and, and then like during that scene where, you know, before, you know, Kathy's assault and, and murder, like, you know, they have like these beautiful tree branches with like these flowers on them and they put a flower crown on her and it seems very beautiful, but then they use that to like, they're like beating them with like mm-hmm. the, the branches. And it's just kind of, there's this whole perversion of like the natural world, uh, you know, this beautiful like countryside and, the, um, Again, I just I just think is really really interesting and really uh, unsettling. Yeah, uh, it's another film that pretty much takes place all during the day. I mean, besides the beginning where um, the uh, what's her name Rosalind like you know freaks out in the house and yeah, you know, like, they take her away, but most of this film is like that woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the, oh yeah, the mistress uh, Bantam Bantam Bantam. Yeah, yeah, Bantam. Um, yeah, that besides that kind of scene, most of it does take. It's just I, I don't know. There's just moments of this film that are really beautiful to look at. And again, it is that like, you know, when you're sitting there at a lovely beach and you're looking at the beautiful skyline and the calm ocean, how it can suddenly turn on you, or uh, you know, you go to your favorite hike and you know you 
uh, get lost, you know, like how very quickly uh, the natural world can turn on you and, and then vice versa, how very quickly we can turn as part of the natural world, turn on each other and uh, use our, our fears of what hides in the woods as, as like weapons uh, Mm -hmm. against each other. Have you seen the village? Um, not from the beginning. I've actually seen the end of the village. Okay. I don't know. I'm only bringing it up because it's kind of that thing too, where it's like, you know, one of the, the, the effects of the film of, of keeping everybody in this village is by telling them there are monsters hiding in the woods. It's Mm -hmm. this really powerful, uh, you know, um, deterrent from wandering off and discovering, you know, the twist in the film. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyways. So that was, uh, 1971's blood on Satan's claw. Uh, again, like I said, I've been very, very excited for this, uh, series. It's, uh, there's so much, like there's folk horror present in, in a lot of films and I'm just excited to, uh, you know, dig in. You know what, Joshua, Jester, you've done it again. (laughs) You've got (laughs) me, you've got me all excited for something that I didn't even think I was going to be remotely excited for, to be completely (laughs) honest. Well, we'll we'll see how it goes because we still have a few more uh, a few more films to get through, and some of them are uh, some of them are quite something. So, <laughs> but you know, again, they they have common themes, so it's going to be fun. Alrighty, well, dear listener, you know, happy spooky season! Oh my gosh, here we are again, celebrating another year of Fright School, mm-hmm. and uh, however many years it is, and <laughs> we'll get we'll figure that out, and uh, you know. It's so fun. Yay, Joe. Wait, I can't wait. All righty. Well, uh, good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. Listening to the Geekscape Network. 